Uh, we're going to spend some time on the Psalms of the Christian life and how we can read uh, words written to people thousands of years ago that still speak to the human condition. The same things we struggle with, the same things we deal with, David and the other psalmists poured out their hearts before the Lord. And we're going to do that as a body for the next several weeks. And hopefully it'll be as much of a blessing to you as it is to me in preparing for these. So as we look at Psalm 4, I want to ask if any of you remember this as a kid. Sticks and, don't, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. True? Yes? No? No? Um, you know, do we fear bodily harm or do we fear insults? You know, do we fear our own safety or our own comfort or our own pride when, when, when someone insults us? I mean, it sounds good, but words can leave deep scars. Words, and scars heal, but sometimes words have reverberations for years or generations. And especially in our culture, right, where everything hurts these days. Let's not be, be those people, but let's be, be real about when we feel hurt. Whose example do we follow? What do you do when you're upset? What do you do when you're, when you're hurt? What do you do when someone else hurts you or even torments you? Do you cry? Do you hide? Do you lash out? Do you suppress? Do you self-medicate? Those are the things that the world does. That's not the pattern of the Christian. That's not the pattern of those of us who follow Christ. And the Psalms speak to that pattern. The Psalms follow the, the pattern of suffering to glory. The Psalms in the first book of the Psalms are over, overly, um, overly filled with Psalms of lament. Psalms of, of pain and anguish and coming before the Lord. And the book of the Psalms finishes with songs of praise. We begin in suffering, we end in praise. That was also the life of Christ. Christ came to suffer so that we could praise. That is also the life of anyone who follows Christ. It is a life of suffering in the flesh. One day be filled with praise. And yes, we will praise, we will suffer, we will praise, we will suffer. That is the pattern of the Psalms. And we're going to go through one of the first Psalms of lament this morning. Um, Psalm 22 is one of those, those pictures of Christ on the cross. It is this perfect representation of lament where Christ is, is on the, the cross and people are accusing him and, and pointing fingers and insulting him. And he prays for them and he ends up in worship at the end. I mean, this is a common human problem, right? We get our feelings hurt. We get our, our bodies hurt. We get our families hurt. What do we do with that? Where do we go with that? And the, the Psalms follow, the Psalms of Lament follow this pattern. It's a pattern of an opening petition to God. God, help me. It's lamenting about the problem or about the enemy. This is what's going on, Lord. Then they, the psalmist restate the problem. And then they end up refocusing back on the Lord. That is the process of a lament psalm. And we're going to walk through a perfect picture of that in Psalm 4. It's a short psalm. It's only eight verses, but there's so much here. 
Psalm 4 is often called the evening psalm because Psalm 3 is called the morning psalm. Because David in Psalm 3 is facing enemies with real sticks and real stones. In Psalm 4, he's facing enemies with false words. So we see both of these. In the morning, David is praying like, I know that people want to kill me in Psalm 3. Psalm 4, he's laying down in his bed in peace because he's come before the Lord. I love what uh, one commentator, P.C. Craigie, says about this. He says, there are days in the life of of human beings which require a psalm like this at their end. I love that. About Psalm 4, that there are days in the life of a human being that require a psalm like this at the end. I want to read Psalm 3 and 4 together, and then we're going to walk through Psalm 4. Psalm 3 says this, O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be in all your people. Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God, my righteous. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But... Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. But you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray. Lord, we only come before you because we know that you hear when we call. You are not deaf and dumb like gods made with man's hands, idols made out of wood and stone. But you hear, you listen, you answer, you condescend to us. When we are weak and frail and we feel pain, you comfort us. You bring us relief in our distress. You give us peace when we come before you. You give us rest in you and we can sleep. No matter what happens with the world around us, Lord, let us find our rest and our peace in you. Let us follow the pattern of David. Let us follow the example of Christ. As we walk through your word this morning, let it minister to us. Let it encourage us. Let it challenge us to pray boldly, confidently, intimately at your feet. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we lift up the majestic name of Jesus. Amen. Psalm 4 starts with a subscript that we tend to gloss over, and I did. Um, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. We love to sing. 
We love to celebrate. We love to celebrate good things. But we rarely put our sorrows to music. We rarely sing lament. We rarely sing our pain. But this was a common Hebrew practice. They talked about every area of their lives. They celebrated. They petitioned. They cried out to God. They put it to music. They wanted the words that were ministering to them to be sung by the congregation, to be sung by the body. And so we should as well be able to sing and petition and cry out to God the way they did. One thing about Psalm 4, we don't really know what is the occasion for the song. Psalm 3 tells us that it's David fleeing from Absalom. Psalm 4, there's different theories here. Uh, it could be persecution. It could actually be idolatry. Uh, that doesn't matter as much. Uh, and it, Hebrews, Hebrews tough because of the, the meanings, and we're going to get into that just a little bit because I want you to see the power in the words here. But the theme is still the same. Still crying out to God, him hearing and him responding. Let's walk through this passage together. First thing I want you to see in verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. There are four petitions in this first verse. Meaning, there's four things that he is asking God for. Um, this tense is kind of hard in English. It's called the vocative. It's, it's declaring and shouting with confidence. Answer me when I call. Also, this should be, give me relief. It, it says in both senses that you have given me relief, but he's also shouting, give me relief in my distress. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. Answer me. Give me relief. Be gracious. Hear my prayer. Do you see this? David is coming before God, almost demanding, and we, we kind of shudder at that. Like, shouldn't we say please first? Like, shouldn't we kind of tiptoe before God? David has this intimacy with God where he's saying, answer me, Lord, hear me, give me grace. I love the picture of this word relief because in Hebrew, the word distress means to be in a narrow space, means he feels boxed in, he feels claustrophobic. I think that's such great insight to our distress. Like when we're distressed, we don't know where to turn, we don't know what to do, like how do I get out of here? But the word relief means to make wide. So when God takes distress and turns it into relief, he takes a narrow space, boxed in, and he opens it up. He makes wide the ways of distress. I know I am no more distressed than when I'm sitting in traffic. Like I am claustrophobic. I can't get out. I want to run somebody over. Yes, I have those feelings. Um, and after getting out of like a two-hour traffic jam or a five-hour car ride, there is nothing better than to open the door and stretch your legs, right? And just to, to, to breathe, to have some space. That's this picture of I'm in distress, I'm blocked in, I can't go anywhere. But the Lord gives me relief. The Lord lets me stretch my legs, walk in the forest, look at the trees, that anything boxing me in. That is a beautiful picture of what happens when David comes before the Lord. Because in the same sense, he's saying, give me relief. But he's also saying, I know that you're faithful. You have given me this relief before, and I can trust that you will do it again. He's honest before God. He admits his weakness, and God 
comforts him. He also says, be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. Be merciful. I mean, this is a legitimate request. Because we know that grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve His mercy on our lives. But we can ask for it. Because we know He is merciful. He is gracious toward us. Now compared to David's enemies, we're going to get to those in just a minute, he's righteous. But compared to God, he's still a sinner and he needs grace. He needs mercy in the midst of his affliction. And he's not afraid to ask for it. David, the most powerful man in Israel, the seat on on, on which Jesus would come to reign forever one day, is saying, I need your grace. I need your mercy. So this is his posture before God. He comes to him petitioning, asking boldly, intimately, bearing his feelings before his Lord, his God, his Father in heaven. So first, in the Psalms of Lament, they address God. Secondly, they address the adversaries, and that's what we get in verse 2 to 5. But it's interesting how David addresses his adversaries. He petitions his adversaries as well, not not to condemn them, but watch what he does. He intercedes for them. He prays for them. Look at verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? This in the Hebrew, O men, he's, he's talking specific about nobles here. He has specific people in mind. He's praying for them in particular. He's praying for leaders who have it out for him. How long shall you turn my honor into shame? This can also be translated glory. David is the anointed king and they're slandering him. They're seeking to upset the throne of God. They're seeking maybe to kill him. And David He's calling them out. He's saying, "Why? how long are you going to take my honor and turn it into shame? How long will you seek after vain words? I mean, there's this sense that the slander, the, the, the ridicule, the, the persecution should cause David to be angry. But he petitions the Lord. You know, in our lives... We know what slander feels like. All of us have had things said against our character that don't rightly belong to us. And our first reaction is to get mad, or maybe even to get even. And maybe we haven't faced persecution to this extent. But living in the 21st century as a believer, if you are vocal for the things of God, you will face persecution. Paul tells us it will be so. Jesus tells us it will be so. But even if you don't, all of us face situations where we're insulted. Our character is shamed. We're, we're ripped off, falsely accused. We're hurt by words, actions, and the intentions of others. It does happen. What does the Christian do? What does the world do? I don't know about, about you, but for me, I'm, I'm convicted with David's posture here. He petitions the Lord. He goes to the Lord first. He doesn't try to get vengeance on his own. He doesn't try to right this this wrong. He goes before the Lord because he knows who has power. This 
these, uh, this wording here, how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? I mean, this is the description of foolish men. They love vain things, things that appeal to them, things that aren't lasting. Why are you going after these temporary things? Why are you being led by lies? Even at my expense, David is saying. But his concern is still for them. The Hebrew is expressive here. Um, the reason why there's, there's some contention about where, what the context of this, this psalm might be, because the word for lies is the same word for false gods. It's the same words, word for idols. I love that. That in Hebrew, lies and false gods are synonymous. That an idol and a lie is the same thing in the eyes of the people in God, of the, the people of God. That's all idols are, right? They are lies. When you believe lies, when you follow after vain words, you are worshiping idols. And so David gets that here. Like, don't go after false gods. Don't believe lies. And he's going to tell you what to do. And then he, then, then he turns it. So he's, he's putting out this, this accusation. You're going after false words, right? And then, and then there's a transition in verse 3. Uh, you guys know in my preaching, I will always bring attention to the conjunctions because the, the, the conjunction junction will help you follow where the, the, the passage is going. Sorry, I had to do that. Um, but no. So he's contrasting what happened in verse two. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Set apart. We know that as holy. This is God initiating. God has set apart the righteous, the holy for himself. The godly. Um, in, in the Hebrew, this is one who possesses the steadfast love of the Lord. It's beautiful. The godly is one who possesses the steadfast love of the Lord. And so they can be faithful back to God because they have been shown God's love. This is just as true for us. Because if it is the Lord who sets us apart, who protects us, who guides the saints, the righteous, the elect, the godly, because he knows them, then also, like David, he hears them. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. There's this intimate conversation between God and the people of God. Look back at verse 1. This is, David begins with, answer me when I call. Hear me. Hear my prayer. David's already reminding himself in verse 3. By praying for his enemies, he's reminding himself of the goodness of God. By praying for his enemies, he's, he's reminding them, the Lord has set apart the righteous. The Lord hears when they call. Oh, wait. He does hear when I call. David reminds himself in his prayer. And there's that intimacy that we pray he hears because his steadfast love rests on us. Anytime that you feel self-conscious of whether God listens to your prayers or not, remember that his steadfast love rests on you if you are his. We're going to see that a little bit more in a minute. And no matter what the evil wishes, evil wishers desire, Nothing can change that. Nothing can change the steadfast love of the Lord because God is unchanging. His love toward his people is unchanging. This is a great 
prayer and something great to remember for believers. Because I am loved and set apart by God through Jesus Christ, maintained by the power of the Holy Spirit. He listens to me because I am his. There's a deep breath and relief in that. And many times as Christians, we can say he saved me from my sins. But we don't know where to go from there. What do I do in distress? What do I do in pain? But if we understand the gospel, if we understand that the Lord sets apart the righteous, the Father wills, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit sustains, there is no greater confidence in all the world. And this is how David approaches God. Do you want this intimacy? Do you want to feel the way David feels, to pour out his heart before God, to have such confidence that he fears no one? I want that. If we understand our God and the way he works, this is not temporary. His grace does not come and go. The Lord himself is ordaining to set you apart in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit that sustains our salvation intercedes for us. And Jesus, the same one who accomplishes our salvation, is our mediator before the Father. Jesus died for us. You don't think he won't listen to our prayers? He sent his spirit to walk along with us. Think he doesn't care about what happens every day? He does. And we can come before him boldly, confidently, as children crying out, before our Father. So then, David gets into these four petitions. Remember, he petitioned God four times earlier. Now he's petitioning his enemies, his adversaries. He's, he's giving them instruction. He's trying to help them along. We see four petitions here. Be angry. There's one. Do not sin. Ponder in your hearts. There's two. On your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices, there's three, and trust in the Lord, there's four. David is interceding for his adversaries, even though they want to turn his honor to shame, he's he's telling them what to do to come before God. The first one, uh, there's a lot of debate about this passage, be angry and do not sin. This this word for be angry uh, really means to, to, to tremble, to shake. In your shaking, in your, your, your trembling, do not sin. Now, is it trembling in fear? Is it trembling in anger? The scholars don't really know. Either way, the, the, the point is when you are worked up, don't sin. And how do you do that? David tells him, ponder. Ponder. It's a word we don't really use very much anymore. It means to meditate. It means to consider something deeply. And you and I know in our busy world, it is very hard to consider something deeply. It is very hard to shut out all the other voices. And and we can't do it in the midst of traffic. We can't do it with the TV on in the background. We We can't do it when we have all these other voices in our lives. We need to, what? On your beds, be silent. Ponder the things of God. When you get worked up, when you get angry, do you ponder? Do you seek 
the silent meditation before God? Or do you stoke the fire of your anger? We all struggle with that, and we all can learn from David with that. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon um, in his morning and evening devotionals. He talks about this. This is great stuff. He says, there are times when solitude is better than society. Amen. We'll say that again. There are times when solitude is better than society. And silence is wiser than speech. We should be better Christians if we were more alone, waiting upon God and gathering through meditation on his word, spiritual strength for labor in his service. We ought to muse upon the things of God because we thus get real nutriment out of them. I think that means nutrition. Why is it that some Christians, although they hear many sermons, make but slow advances in the divine life? Because they neglect their closets and do not thoughtfully meditate on God's word. Wise words from a very wise man. Ponder your bed. Be silent. Don't neglect the quiet time with the Lord. Because only then... Verse 5, can you offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord? He's saying, not just empty religion, not just going through the motions, but offer right sacrifices. Come before God humbly and put your trust in the Lord. So after pondering and hopefully repenting, you can approach God rightly. Trust in the Lord and not lies. Trust in the Lord and not idols. Trust in the Lord and not the false, vain words of men. So first he says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. If you did these things, you wouldn't have to ask in verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? First of all, let's... Um, if, if you think the wording here is awkward, in the Hebrew it's really awkward. Um, I had a hard time figuring out w- what is really going on here. But the sense of it is it's a very worldly response. Like, what good can come from this? You ever heard a teenager say, like, this is the worst thing ever. You're the worst parents ever. My life is over. This is the response here. Like, in the midst of trial... They're saying, what good can come from this? Who can show us good? But in the same breath, they're crying out to God, saying, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. In one one breath, they're saying, who can bring us good? And then in the same thought process, they're saying, lift up your light upon us. They know the answer, but they don't know how to approach the source. They should be seeking the face of God, but they're complaining first. Who can offer good? Well, you don't know how good God is if you're questioning before you invoke his name. Light of your, your face, it's a, it's a Hebrew concept that basically means the blessing and favor. When God looks upon you, when he shines upon you, it's a good thing. Uh, turn to Numbers chapter 6 for me. Numbers? Never heard numbers in a service. Yes, you have. Um, most of us, if you grew up in the church, you probably heard this as your benediction. 
It's beautiful. This is Aaron's blessing. Uh, God instructs Aaron how to bless the people. Want to know what blessing in the Lord looks like? Numbers chapter 6, starting in verse 22. Numbers 6.22, all the way to the left in your Bible. A couple of books in. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying thus, You shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance or his face upon you and give you peace. We've all heard that. Sometimes it's it's helpful to understand it in context, but I love verse 27. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. This is not just some generic blessing. This is God putting his name on his people. By my reputation, I will shine my light on you. By the glory of my own name, I will bless you. So David's adversaries, they knew the right response. They knew Numbers 6. But they weren't coming to God. They weren't seeking his blessing. They were seeking their own glory. But we, the people of God, who are marked with the name of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Our God is faithful. He works out everything for our good, the good of those who trust in him according to his purpose, because he set us apart. If we bear the name of the Lord, the power and the authority of Jesus' name is our blessing is our comfort. We don't have to ask where good comes from. We know where it comes from. Because through Christ, we have access to God. The same access that David has. I love that. I need to be reminded of that all the time. I'm a child of God. No longer a slave. My father is the king can come before him boldly, can curl up at his feet and ask for his blessing and his pardon and his grace for him to hear me, because he does. So what's the result? So David petitions God. He calls out his adversaries. He gives them instruction. Then in verse 7, he's reminded, oh wait, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. The result, David receives his answer. He's assured of God's faithfulness. He's assured of the the joy that he possesses. This abundance of heart, this overflowing, I have more joy than overflowing wine and grain. I have more joy than on the day of harvest and we have more grapes than we can eat and more wheat than we can carry. I have more joy than that. I love what James Montgomery Boyce says about this passage. He says of of David, this prayer is his therapy. It does him good. This prayer is his therapy. It does him good. 
could tell you as a culture and as the church, we could save a lot of money on therapy if we approach God like this with our problems. If we reminded ourselves of his goodness, reminded ourselves of the joy. Do you do that in your life? Do you do that in the lives of your brothers and sisters when they're discouraged, when they're in distress? Do you remind them of the goodness of God? Do you remind them of the joy that we have, the boldness in which we can approach our Father's throne? These are good things. We talked about on Wednesday the life of the church and how, why does the church gather? It's to encourage one another. It's to be, it's to walk alongside other broken people, other people in distress, to encourage them and to help them grow in the image of Christ. It's really hard to do on your own. And it's impossible to do if you don't come before God first. David approaches God humbly, prays for his enemies, and then he ends up in peace. And he's comforted. Has it ever happened to you? You ever been so mad at someone? So angry about someone? You just start yelling at them out loud. Some, most of the time in your head. You should do it in your head, not out loud. And then you pray. And your prayers remind you, my God is good. My God is bigger than all of my fears. This little thing is a blip on the radar. You ever been reminded in your prayers that our God takes us from distress to relief? And not just on the cross and not just our sins for eternity. Yes, he did. But in our daily life, we can have relief from our distress if we approach him in prayer. How do you avoid sin? How do you avoid being angry and then sinning out of that? David tells us, meditate, ponder the good things of God. Come before him boldly. Offer right sacrifices. Trust in the Lord. David can be honest in his prayer. He knows, God knows his heart. He's not hiding anything. He's even talking about the wicked prospering in the second half of verse 7. He says, you have put more joy in my heart than when they had, when their grain and wine abound. I mean, this is as rich as you can get in an agrarian society. When harvest time comes and there's grain abounding and the wine is flowing, the biggest party ever, David's saying, even when they're doing that, my joy is still greater than you. In our context, like, you make me happier than a kid on Christmas, right? You make me happier than that guy over there who won the lottery and is still miserable. You make me happier than the guy who got the promotion or the girl who got the promotion and didn't deserve it. My hope and my joy, my comfort is still in you. Because even when it seems like the wicked prosper, when wine and grain abound, they may have all the toys, but we have all the joy in Christ. That is the real comfort of this psalm. Because when you come to that realization, verse 8 makes perfect sense. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. 
He can advise his adversaries what to do in their beds at night. Because when David lays down, he has peace. When David lays down, he rests. And this is available for us too. I have to be honest with you guys here. I will be the first one to say that many times I'm woken up in the middle of the night. And I've got my to-do list. And I've got the criticisms that people said about me the week before. And it's playing over and over and over in my head. Three o'clock in the morning. Why can't I turn my brain off? Why can't I go to sleep? Why do I not have any peace? And preparing for this psalm has been so helpful. Because in those times, I now remind myself to pray. God, you're good. I don't have to worry about these things. I don't have to stress over these things. God, answer me. Give me relief. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. Works at 3 p.m. or 3 a.m. Because you alone, you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Cry out to the Lord in your distress and he will give you rest. Rest, Sabbath, it's a gift from God. It's a good thing. Our culture wants us to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God rested not because he needed it, because he knew we needed it. If you don't have a day in your life where you are resting, where you're meditating on the things of God, where you're pondering, if you don't have a time in your day when you have silence, you're missing out on the peace that comes from nowhere else. God has set us apart. Set apart a time of your day and a time of your week to meditate on his goodness, on his graciousness. And there is peace that the world can do nothing about. So how do we conclude this morning? What do we learn from David? Well, let's look at a couple things. What does he do in distress? He comes to the Lord first. Comes boldly. Prays for his enemies. Those who wish him harm, he prays for. It's a tough thing to do. But ultimately finds his joy and peace in the Lord, which gives him rest. True rest. Do we pray this way? I know I fail miserably to pray this way. Does your prayer life look like this? Do you want your prayer life to look like this? I was convicted this, this week um, that as I prepare for sermons and as I finish in my studies, that I can put so much on information, I can so, put so much in, in taking in, taking in, taking in, that I don't spend enough time before the Lord. I don't pray passionately. I don't cry out. I don't express my need for his grace. And I would encourage you, you are not strong enough on your own. You're not. But our strength does not come from ourselves. Because when we are weak, he is strong. And when we rest in his strength, there is peace. And Christ is our example for this. When Jesus came He came to the Father in prayer first. He didn't lash out at his enemies. He prayed for them. He kept his conversation with the Father going. 
If anyone did not need connection with the Father, he had it perfectly, Jesus snuck away. Spent hours, spent evenings away by himself in the garden praying. Prayed till blood came out of his forehead. This is the passionate prayer life of our Savior. He fulfilled this pattern for us. He came seeking the Father's will. He came petitioning his enemies and ultimately found his rest in the Lord so that we could rest in him. He bore our affliction so that we could have peace in him. He bore the slander and the persecution of the world so that we could take on his identity. That is the good news of the gospel. The better news of the gospel is that our Savior is not dead. Our Savior is alive. He is risen and he is reigning. He lives to intercede for us. He hears our prayers. And he sent his Spirit to guide our prayers. He sent his Spirit to convict us and to stir our hearts and to bring us before the throne of God. So when you're distressed in your life, don't sin in your anger. Ponder the things of God. Offer right sacrifice and trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I would be remiss if I didn't just take a moment to reflect how good you are, how great you are, the power that is in your word. That 3,000 years ago you spoke to David and you stirred his heart and the stirrings of his heart can still minister to us today because you are unchanging, because the problems of man are unchanging. And thank you that you did not leave us as widows and orphans. You left us with your spirit. You left us with the power of your word. You left us with prayer. We have conversation with you. We have communion with you. Our hope, our joy, our peace, our rest is only found in you, Lord. And I pray this morning that if anyone here is seeking rest anywhere but you, that they would ponder in their heart how good you are, how great you are, That there is no rest anywhere else. There is no peace but in the safety of your arms. That we would seek the light of your face. That your blessing would be upon us. That we would be people formed into your image. Who can pray boldly. Who can pray intimately. Can put our heads in the pillow at night and rest. Because you are our God. You set us apart and you are in control. And we bear the name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings who will reign forever on the throne of glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.